Hey, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And before we start the show, we'd like to bring your attention to some cool conferences we're going to be at in Europe. Specifically, NDC happening June 12th through the 16th in Oslo, Norway. All the usual suspects will be there. Hey, and they even let us in. But don't hold that against them. No. Well, this is their big show, Richard, the original NDC. Yeah, which we've been going to for like eight years. That's right. We don't know exactly what we'll be doing yet, but you can expect a great panel discussion. Yeah, and of course, we'll be in the fishbowl making some great .NET rock shows for your listening pleasure. So go to ndcoslo.com and register now. And for more great NDC conferences, go to ndcconferences.com. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're getting ready for show season here. Aren't Conference we? season is upon us, my friend. Yes, we'll be in Orlando before long. In fact, before too long at all. Yeah, it's the week after this show comes out. So yeah. uh, I hope you're going to meet us there. Yeah, we hope so. Hey, I've got something idiotic for Better Know Framework. I like that a lot. Roll the music. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, it's an XKCD comic. Oh. And it's basically just two people are talking. And one says, one one person is on the front steps of what is an apartment, all right? And uh, somebody walks up and says, should I ask? And this person on the steps is using their laptop. And he says, I'm locked out and trying to get my roommate to let me in. First, I tried her cell phone, but it's off. Then I tried IRC, but she's not online. I couldn't find anything to throw at her window, so I SSH'd into the Mac Mini in the living room and got the speech synth to yell at her for me, but I think I left the volume way down, so I'm reading the OSX docs to learn how to set the volume via the command line, and the other person says, ah, I take it the doorbell doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) And then just blank, you know, just blank. Don't need to say anything at that that point. That's it. That's oh, right. Randall, you're a genius. <laughs> He's also the one with the security thing that says, or we could take this $5 wrench to him yeah, and exactly. get the password that way. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the solution is a lot simpler, says yep. Occam's Razor. Yeah. So who's talking to us, my friend? I always grab a comment off of one of John's latest shows, because he does one or two of them with us for per year, mm-hmm. and they get a ton of comments, so I got to thumb through a little here. This is a comment off of show 1186, which we did with John, talking about spas and Visual Studio Code, back in September of 2015, so dipping a little back mm-hmm. uh, into an older show, and uh, the pseudonym on this is MG1075, and in my investigations today... I believe this is Robert Mungdel. And if I'm wrong, I apologize, but you seem to be using this handle in a few different places. So Robert's comment was, on the one hand, trying to keep up with the latest and greatest JavaScript frameworks and libraries is a good thing. When John delivered his first Pluralsight course on Knockout JS, it was tremendously helpful and fun to learn. Yep. And just as important, I was able to leverage the material and bring value to the company in the form of a new slick application using Knockout. Yeah. On the other hand, trying to keep up with the latest and greatest can be terribly non-productive and lead to analysis paralysis. You can spend days, weeks, or even months trying to break down all the pros and cons. Switching to Angular has been a good thing for me as I can do more with it than Knockout. Yet the choices and noise in the community around frameworks has snowballed since the Angular 1.x debacle, let's call it that, Mm. to a mind-numbing proportion. You know, when people make breaking changes, they get noisy. You know, there's no yep. two ways about it. Most often, the noise coming from the tech evangelists and bloggers is antithetical to the business goal of delivering a functional application given the constraints of finite time spans and resources. The noise rarely factors in the cost of having to maintain and or refactor code that uses what was once, in a point of time, the JavaScript library du jour. Hanselman brought attention to the idea of dark matter developers, and maybe there is another aspect of this notion, dark matter code. Hmm. Unlike the frameworks getting all the hype on Twitter, instruction sites, and blogs, dark matter code is the code that may have been popular at one time, 
hey, in the case of Angular 1.x, may have been popular just a couple of months ago. Right. But now has been deemed a second-class citizen on the internet buzz. Yet this dark matter code is not going to disappear all of a sudden. Coders will be maintaining and building new things with it for a while. Indeed, they may even be productive with it. And if I heard John correctly, it was a good thing to hear him validate that using the latest and greatest was not an absolute necessity. Personally, I think this point has to be stressed way, way more often among those instructors, bloggers, and evangelists in the world who do push hard on the latest and greatest, even though it may not be in their best interest. Right. And that was two years ago, and John responded back then, yep, use what works for you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I thought it was really well said, actually, Robert. I appreciate that. And and certainly the cascade continues, um, although I, I think the pace is winding down a little. So, Robert, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media, because every show is published to Google and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet, but you don't need to use SSH. It's not necessary. <laughs> Actually, if you could send me a tweet via SSH, I would be impressed. I would be too. <laughs> that would just, be something. Just saying it's not necessary. Yeah. Try the doorbell. All right. Well, uh, let's bring back to the show John Papa. He is a principal developer advocate now with Microsoft and an alumni of the Google Developer Expert, Microsoft Regional Director, and MVP programs. He's passionate about web and mobile technologies and often enjoys speaking around the world at keynotes and sessions for conferences, including NGConf, Build, Ignite, VS Live, and Angle Brackets. John is co-host of the popular Adventures in Angular podcast, author of the Angular Style Guide, several books, and many popular Pluralsight courses. You can reach John at johnpapa.net or on Twitter at john underscore papa. Welcome back, John. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Crossed back in, my friend. Yeah. Yeah, you know, once in a while, you just got to go back where you started from. <laughs> you know, we couldn't talk <laughs> about where you worked before, but you can divulge it now, right? Oh, you mean those uh, six years in between my Microsoft uh, yeah. employments? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I worked for the Walt Disney Company for Parks and Resorts Technology. That must have been a fun job. Oh, yeah. Had a lot of fun there. Yeah, it, it, that was like a life goal for you too, because you're you're a Florida guy. Yeah, yeah, I really loved it. Just growing up, I'm a huge Disney fan, and mm. my kids love it, my family loves it, and I actually live, you know, within 15 minutes away from Disney, and I drive there all the time. So yeah. it was a big thing for me to want to work there and help them make the magic that uh, makes people happy. It's kind of cool to have a job where you know you're basically what you're doing is making people have a good time. Yeah, no kidding. So let's talk about what comes after Angular 2. Angular 3, right? No, 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 no. Hey, come on. <laughs> Guys, you know this. We talk in binary. So what comes after 1, 2, then we go to 4, the next version will be 8. The next version will be 8, right. <laughs> we'll be at Angular 1024 soon enough. Well, you know, at least it's only four syllables, Angular 4. So... <laughs> You know. Yeah, you know, in, in the whole version thing, there's actually a really good blog post that talks about this. And mm -hmm. it's not too uncommon. Like, you know, Entity Framework, I think they would, they skip from one to four when yeah. they went there. Yeah. Uh, at one point. And sometimes different teams create a new version just to synchronize everything. Yeah. And what happened was uh, there was an Angular router in version two that really took like three attempts to get it right. Hmm. Uh, what they did for a while, so Angular version 2 is out, and then Angular's router was version 3. So when they went to the next version, they're like, we don't want to have 3 and 4. Let's just go to 4 and make everything the same thing. Yeah. So that's why that happened. They're, they're not going to keep skipping. That was just a, uh, let's just make life easier for people. Yeah, and it's not unprecedented in this world no. of software no. versioning to do that. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. ASP.NET, yeah, Entity yeah. Framework, Node, and IOJS. I mean, it happens all the time. It's all the time. Yeah, it's just not that not that unusual. So did they actually make a new version of the router for four, or is it the three now in the four box? Uh, what's cool now, and we could talk about this a little bit too, which I think is really neat, is the Angular strategy. And I had a little hand in this because, um, and, I, and I can explain what that means, was really difficult on enterprises, right? Because mm -hmm. like all these JavaScript frameworks, they want to change as quickly as possible. 
But how do you do that and let enterprises keep up? Because let's say you work for a large enterprise um, and you have a thousand apps running on Angular. Well, if they come out with a new version every two weeks, like a, a minor or a patch, and then every six months they have a new major, it's not realistic to say, hey, enterprise, just go upgrade all of your apps to that version, even if there are no breaking changes. So what they did is they decided to come up with a strategy called uh, long-term support and short-term support, kind of like Node does. Yeah. So that the even-numbered versions now, like 4 and 6, will have long-term support. And then the odd one, version 5, will have short-term support. So now enterprises can kind of stick to one of those versions for a longer period. Interesting. Okay. You know, it's not perfect, but, no. you know, you also don't want to stay in the same version for five and a half years, which is what they did with AngularJS, which is right, what right. they call version one. Well, you know, Microsoft sort of does this with Windows now because the enterprise, you know, Windows is constantly being updated, but enterprises just will not tolerate that. So there are yeah. these sort of marker versions of Windows that are, this is when the enterprise upgrades. This is the long-term supported version. Like, it, it, we like this cadence when we're developing. We don't like this cadence when we're operating. Yeah. Yeah, there's a balance, right? Nobody wants to get left behind, but in the same sense, people don't want you to move too fast. So uh, I get that that push and pull. Uh, and to answer your original question, like with the version of the router, when they came out with version two, and then they came out with version four, uh, the router and everything else uh, did get new versions. They all got upgraded. But right. the breaking changes from from the versions that were in two to four were very minor. In fact, I upgraded literally 20 of my apps and I didn't have to change a line of code. So wow. that was cool. The, the whole 1X debacle was a fundamental shift in philosophy based on being out in the world with Angular. Yeah. I mean, they built something 2011. So yeah. you're talking six, seven years ago, this thing was created. And at the time, we had, you know, module problems and browsers, compatibility issues. You know, ECMAScript was still figuring out, you know, are we going to have a good version with modules or not? Mm. So they had to do a lot of things that they just don't need to do anymore. Mm -hmm. And they just rewrote it from scratch with the same fundamental philosophy, but now it's using um, patterns that didn't exist then. And it takes advantage of TypeScript, which they wrote it in. So it's uh, it's much more stable and optimized. Nice. And should we get the plug in for Angular Mix right up front just to get it done? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. What's Angular Mix, Richard? <laughs> <laughs> That's my line, my friend. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I figured if I jumped That's in quick. That's called a meatball. There right you there. go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, John. <laughs> Angular is one of the most popular features of Dev Intersection. No two ways about it. And we're going to continue to do Angular at Dev Intersection. But there's a sort of an energy around, could we do a show solely focused on Angular? And there's a few of them out there, uh, but uh, do one in the style that we're, uh, it's sort of a hybrid between sort of a traditional Angular show and a traditional dev intersection show. Yeah, I'm super excited. We've been talking about this, Richard, for what, like a year, trying to figure yeah. out how we were going to pull this off? Well, maybe even two. I mean, you've been focused on Angular for a long time, and the, the styles are very different, but clearly angular is going into the enterprise it's becoming an important part of the enterprise so how do we you know mix together the enterprise developer and the sort of traditional open source web developer and and create something better than than either one yeah yeah and that's you know mix is the key word right it's it's how do we mix this enterprisey feel with this open source world and i we see personally i see a lot of friction with people trying to use angular with enterprise software like mm -hmm. Visual Studio and other things, uh, or even just on Macs with a lot of enterprise DevOps, um, cloud services as well. And it's not that it's hard. It's that nobody's really talking about how you put all these things together right. uh, in a cohesive way. So that's kind of what our show is about. And I think we're really lucky because we've got, gosh, I mean, I don't know if it's the whole Angular team, but we've got like, what, 10 of them coming to this show already? Wow. Wow. Yeah, the, the so lineup pretty is, excited. is crazy. And I, and I also think that Angular's at the perfect moment. Like just what you just finished describing before I, we hucked the meatball out there, where I think we're more ready to talk about Angular in the enterprise than we've ever been before. Yeah, and you know, the biggest friction with Angular, which is kind of why we wanted to talk today, is, and I'll be honest, I'm a, I'm a realist. I like Angular a lot, but I'm also a realist that people struggle with Angular. And I'll, let me tell you yeah. why. The hardest part about Angular is not Angular. It's the stuff you have to do just to start writing code. It's the ceremony. Right. Yeah, it's the ceremony. I mean, you've got to have Node, and some people don't have that. And, you know, typing a command line is easier than doing it from a tool. 
And then you need to figure out, do I have NPM? What versions do I have? What kind of module system am I using? Am I using Webpack, Gulp, or Grunt? And I haven't even gotten to Angular yet, and my head hurts, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. So what they've done is they modeled after uh, going back in time. They work with a lot of other teams, and the Ember team created their own CLI, command line interface. And those people um, basically worked with the Angular team, and the Angular team also talked with the React team at Facebook. They all actually are friends, which is cool. And they worked together to figure out, what can we do to make this easier? So they created this thing called the Angular CLI based upon some of that other interaction and learning experiences. And now with like two lines of code, you can just type in, hey, create a new app and then build it and serve it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it's wicked cool because it takes away all that garbage ceremony that we were just referring to. And to me, this is the number one thing that's going to help enterprises say, I got to get on this. Now, you still have to have NPM, right? You do. You still need to have uh, Node and NPM to to run that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that stuff's becoming easier to bake yeah. in these days. It's like easy. I'm working with the Visual Studio folks to figure out how do we make this a better integrated experience with uh, like F5, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so folks like Matt Christensen and Steve Sanderson and I are working with the Angular team to figure out what's the right way to go there and then take it a step further. I was just talking a few minutes ago with Donovan Brown about uh, how do we make this a better DevOps experience for the average Microsoft user as well. Well, that's going to that's gonna work, definitely. Speaking Talking of Steve Sanderson, didn't he, he's sort of the principal behind the JavaScript services. Isn't that along the same lines? Yeah, yeah. He's, um, he's the brainchild behind a lot of that. Boy, he's smart. Guys, and, uh, it's crazy. Like, knockout, which is basically what drove the whole Azure portal. But JavaScript services just blew my mind. It's, it seemed like such a good idea. Yeah, it, there's a lot going on there. And, that, you know, that's the cool thing is like this CLI, I think, is going to help make Steve and Mads and, and Donovan even's lives easier trying to integrate this stuff. Because now, right. I mean, really what's going to happen is when you press F5 in Visual Studio, all to be layers between this, but ultimately they'll just press the Angular CLI's build and serve button. Yeah. You know. And serve basically stands up a little development server, right? Yeah, yeah, it's using Webpack today, but it's under the covers. And let's say, you know, the Carl Franklin library is popular tomorrow. You know, the CLI will help us keep up with the right tools to optimize things. Yeah. Uh, under the covers, it kind of hides some of that, kind of like Visual Studio does when you press F5, right? Mm-hmm. For years, we didn't really care how it built it. It just built it. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's nice about it. What the Angular team is actually doing is they just announced at NGConf uh, two weeks ago or so that... The CLI's next steps are going to be to split it out into an SDK as well, uh, which is go- that's going to basically take all the inner functions of the CLI and make it accessible to tools like Visual Studio and Atom and WebStorm and VS Code. Mm-hmm. Nice. So that's really the next great thing. So that so that your development environment knows how to speak to the Angular side of getting things configured, rather than just having to script it all yourself. Exactly. And then you can focus on writing code, which I don't know about you, that's what I like to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not worry about how it's actually going to get deployed or built. So do you do you find that enterprise developers are comfortable on you know on Windows using a CLI for development or, or are they still sort of locked into the UI paradigm? Uh, both. I see I see developers getting more comfortable with the CLI. Some of them have gone more PowerShell and now with Windows 10 with Bash. Mm. You know, they're not so bad there. Uh, but some folks, yeah, very honestly, they still want to press F5 in Visual Studio, right? Mm-hmm. They don't want to hit that little black screen. And this isn't a judgment. This is just the way things are. It's a cultural thing, right? Yeah. I think that's why this SDK is so important, which is the next step in the CLI. Because then, they, you know, once that's ready, Visual Studio team could just tie F5 into it. And you don't have to touch that little black screen and type into terminal. Right. Yeah. And even just the whole, you know, having, you see a black screen appear and a bunch of stuff ripped by, and maybe there was an error message in there, but you didn't see it. It's gone. Right. Like yep. It, it, yep. it can, it can get a little twitchy when you start building up these, these workflows to try and automate that setup and deploy. I do like the fact that Windows 10 just lets you copy and paste into the command line now. That's just a huge benefit. Finally. Finally. Oh, I know. I know. It's funny. You know, when, when I made the switch over to Mac OS, which is the new name of OS X, right? <laughs> so <laughs> things things never change, right? Um, I was just dumbfounded by how bad my experience was in the command prompt for Windows for 15 years. I never mm-hmm. knew how bad I had it until I started using um, Terminal on a Mac. Right. And then these things started coming over to Windows 10 with Bash. And I'm like, ah, oh, yes, finally. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. 
This episode of .NET Rocks is made possible in part by Windows on the Google Cloud Platform. You may not know this, but the Google Cloud Platform supports Windows Server 2008, 2012, and 2016. It also supports SQL Server versions 2012, 2014, and 2016 standard web and enterprise editions with high availability. You can deploy your ASP.NET Windows apps to Compute Engine or your ASP.NET Core apps to App Engine or Container Engine. That's Google's hosted Kubernetes environment. .NET and .NET Core libraries are there for all 200-plus Google.com and cloud services in NuGet, led by John Skeet of Stack Overflow fame. But what about Visual Studio integration? Oh, it's there. You can use Visual Studio to manage your GCP resources and deploy your existing apps. You get stack driver logging, error reporting, and tracing support for .NET and .NET Core. PowerShell commandlets for GCP, which run on Windows and Linux. And a great set of partners to bring your Windows and .NET workloads to GCP, including Capgemini, Nudesic, and Magenic. So go to gcp.netrocks.com and get your free trial today. Hey, John, give us one second here to pay the bills. Yep. You know, we're recording the show before Bill, but it's coming out after Bill. And it was last Bill that we had the bash prompt first presented to us. But it was very, and it was very much aimed as a dev thing. Do you use it? Does it help you? It does. It makes it makes it much easier. Like Windows with Node and NPM has always been painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of it is just the little things. Like you mentioned the copy and paste. It doesn't sound like a really difficult thing to work around, but when you've got all these little shortcuts that you can do in uh, in a terminal and you're, they're all taken away from you and it effectively becomes just a glorified, you know, notepad. Right. Uh, it's really hard to function and be efficient. So yeah, it's, it's made a big difference in Windows uh, terminal development. Yeah. And I'm going to presume there'll be a hot new version that we can't talk about because we don't know about. Or maybe you know Hopefully. about it because you're now on the inside and you can't talk right. about it. <laughs> you know, I'm still uh, I'm still a rookie. I've only been here for four weeks, so <laughs> I don't know a whole lot yet. <laughs> yeah, nobody's told you anything, but you've done this before. I, I, I got to ask, like, what brought you back? Uh, a phone call. Uh-oh. I got a phone call out of nowhere. And oh, I was told, hey, uh, before you say anything, your wife can stay in Florida. You don't have to move. <laughs> we want you to stay there forever. We want you to continue doing Angular, work on a Mac. You don't have to change your operating system. You can do everything you're doing now uh, and even continue with things like Pluralsight and speaking with Richard and other places. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, what exactly is the catch? Yeah, right. <laughs> now, can I ask who the call was from? Because I can guess. Uh, I had two quick calls. Uh, one was from Jeff Sandquist, and the other was oh. from Mr. Scott Guthrie. I bet. Yeah, yeah. We figured. When the goo calls, it's hard to say no. It it really was, and I had no intention of leaving Disney. I mean, it's uh, I, I love my Mickey ears. You know, it's uh, <laughs> love that place. But this is basically a chance for me to go out and do everything I love doing: uh, be a developer advocate, and you know, still do Angular and JavaScript and Node and you know, talk to people around the world. I love it. Yeah. And this is actually a new team inside of Microsoft. Yeah, it's actually a new organization. So hmm. we're creating an organization of developer advocates from scratch. We've got like 60 headcount openings, so people should apply. And right. we're doing things like going to, here's the idea. And this is what I love about it. It was pitched to me and I love this. Don't go to another person's conference and tell them you have to change your tool and you've got to change your operating system and you got to use this instead and use mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And after you do all these things and, you know, basically we've changed everything about you, then you can use Azure. Instead, we're saying just go to where they are, use their tools, talk their speak, use everything that they use, and then just show them how to, you know, use a piece of Azure and say, you know what? You're trying to solve that problem where you've got uh, keys that you're storing in your app and you don't want to deploy it to a cloud. You know, we've got this thing called Key Value Store. Uh, maybe you could use that, you know, and tie that into a React app or an Angular app, which, nice. you know, that's that's a lot better for me because then you're telling people things you believe in yeah. as opposed to saying, turn your world upside down. Right. right. Well, and, and people just, you know, I think about the comment I just read from Robert, right? People have to live with this software. People have stuff like they, yeah. they're not, they're not going to turn their head. There's no point in saying that. They're not going to do it. Right? You really no. have to help them solve the problems they have in front of them. That's exactly. And that that's why I like this. And I'm getting the chance now to build a team. And we just hired a couple of people and we're hiring some more. And 
we're going to have a team that focuses on .NET. Mine's going to focus on what I call the Island of Misfit Toys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> J- JavaScript and Python and Node and React and Angular and Vue. Uh, you know, the latest coolness, right? And right. we'll also have a Java team and we'll have a DevOps team and we'll have a security team and an IoT team. It's going to be good. And we're working right with the engineers so we can channel communication back and forth and I'm excited because really what I do hasn't changed. I'm still doing a ton of Angular and I'm just trying to make it better with uh, cloud services. Right. So where does the, I mean, Angular is all about getting the front end doing all the things, right? Like where does the cloud play? You know, that's what's cool. And it's, I was first playing with, with Azure's uh, latest docs kind of exploring because, you know, the docs have had a complete rewrite over the last year. Yeah. Uh, They're no longer, you know, uh, tech net. So when I'm looking at it, it's more about, hey, are you trying to solve this problem? Here's how you can do that. Uh, and first thing I kind of gravitated towards was, for Angular, was uh, Azure Functions, which is like Lambda in AWS or Google Cloud Functions. And the reason I like it is it solves a really good problem that I've seen over and over again in both enterprises and small businesses. So first, um, just before I explain what Azure Functions are, I'll explain the problem. The problem I've had is uh, maybe I've got a series of apps that have Maybe two endpoints, you know? I, I've built tons of apps in my life, real production enterprise apps, where all they do is they search for something, show you the item, and then maybe do some kind of an update to the record. Yeah. Uh, for example, maybe showing everybody's uh, work schedule at a large employment place, and then just showing you when am I working, and then, okay, I need to make this request for time off. There's tons of these little apps out there, and to stand up a back-end server to handle all the API traffic, yeah. whether it's Spring or ASP.NET or, or Core or Node, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that that maybe a front-end developer doesn't want to think about. Sure. Or maybe an enterprise doesn't want to support with cost. You know, do they deploy that with Docker? How many instances do I need, et cetera? So in there, all I really want to do is I want to write an API. You know, okay, search records and save record. That's it. Well, I, with an Azure function, I can just go in and write the code for that API, and it stands up the server. It's called serverless technology, right? Yep. It stands up the whole thing, and now I've got an API that my Angular app can hit, and I didn't have to write or deploy a single server. Right. It, to me, that's the wicked cool thing. It's like, whoa, makes it so much easier. And it scales like nobody's business, and you don't have to do it yourself. It just happens. Yeah. I mean, it's cost effective, and yep. it's easy to do. I'm like, okay, where's my downside? There's something over here. Nope, nothing there. Mm. Well, I, what I like that if you're an MSDN subscriber, and I bet you most of our listeners are, you get an Azure credit already. So you're literally just working in your own Azure account mm-hmm. to write those functions. I guess the, the the question then is when it goes to deploy, how do you pass this over to the company account? Yeah. 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 And for me, you know, the first thing I did was I wrote it in the portal, which uses like the Monaco tools and stuff that uh, are in VS Code, but instead right. said they're in the browser. Uh, but then I said, okay, this is great. But how do I write this in like VS Code and push it to GitHub and have it deploy? Right. And mm-hmm. that took like a whole 15 minutes to set up. I was like, ooh, okay, oh, they thought that throw. Mm-hmm. So well, there goes your whole day. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that, but, that's And, and you know, great. I'm worried about exactly that thing. How do I test it? How do I make it part of, a, of an overall package? Where does the source control for it? You know, how does it get deployed? How do I bring IT up to speed on the, okay, these are the pieces of my app that matter. Yeah. And don't take yeah, this the wrong way, though, but you're, you're John Papa, right? 15 minutes for you might be a day for somebody else. Uh, maybe. Or maybe five seconds for them. You never know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we did a show a little while ago with Donovan Brown where he built four pipelines in an hour. Yeah. And we're like, okay. and his point was, no, you're not going to build four pipelines in an hour, but you can probably get one done in a day. Yeah. It's, uh, it is interesting that the tooling is getting that much better. It is. And, you know, there's another real big use case, too, for the enterprise for these serverless functions that I like. And uh, let's say you've got a large enterprise and you've got a bunch of back-end systems and all the APIs are there already. But you don't want to build like, a, an, let's say you're building an Angular app, and you don't want to go ahead and talk to 10 web servers. Maybe one's using, um, I don't know, Spring, another one's using WCF, another one's using uh, Web API, another one's using Node. You know, it, you have to worry about cores and all this other stuff, right? Yeah. Well, with serverless, you can just spin up this uh, API and you can write your own endpoint that kind of aggregates all those, puts them together and then serves it to your either your Angular app or your React app or your mobile app. And again, now you've used serverless in a new way, which is like tying things together. So 
there's just so many possibilities. It's like, wow, I, I had these problems for years and I've been solving them with other lightweight things. Now there's something that's lightweight, easy to use, and it scales better than what I could have done on my own. Mm-hmm. So sure, that's attracted me to it. And I didn't even really look into these things until, you know, four weeks ago when I started here. So the CLI is very cool. There, There's obviously more to Angular 4 than that. But uh, is there anything else that you want to cover here? Maybe the routing stuff? Yeah, you know, so with Angular, yeah, the big things with Angular are, uh, you know, the CLI helps you get started and it builds a lot of the stuff for you. But what's really baked into the new versions is an optimization path. So they have this thing called uh, AOT, or Ahead of Time Compilation, uh, which basically, let's think of it this way. When you run AOT on it, it's like a, another processor that you run on your JavaScript that then goes through the code and optimizes it so the browser doesn't have to. So on the server during build time, it basically uses the Angular compiler to put everything into the quickest, fastest way it can run it in the browser. And by doing that, it also means you don't have to ship or send the Angular compiler to the browser. So if you think about what the net result is, you build it once in the server, you deploy it, What's going to the browser is smaller on, on a large app. And then what actually runs in the browser is faster because it doesn't have to think about it as much. It's already pre-processed. And that comes just out of the box with uh, Angular version 4 and the AOT parts. If you, and if you use the CLI, you just simply just do ng build uh, and you're done, which is really cool. Wow. It's really interesting to think about. I mean, it was weird enough when we got compilers in the browser for JavaScript back in like the IE time, nine time frame. And that's, you think about those times with the V8 engine and with the Chakra engine, that set up the possibility of stuff like Node, of just like JavaScript living outside of the browser. Mm. And now you're talking about compiling code before the browser. Like, yeah, the templates. Yeah. The, uh, and these apps are obviously smaller because of the compiled templates and faster too, I imagine, huh? Yeah, uh, with, with one caveat, and that's if you built a single demo app, like a Hello World, uh, what's really shrinking down is it's taking, this is one of the things, it takes like your HTML templates and it kind of puts them into JavaScript so it doesn't have to, you know, parse through them and ship as much across the wire, hmm. uh, all that stuff. If you only have like one template in a Hello World app, you're probably not going to have a smaller app going yeah. to the browser. Yeah. But then again, you wouldn't have needed to optimize it anyway, right? Right. But in an app with 50 pages, absolutely, it's going to be better. I, and I kind of like the idea of something that almost doesn't demo well, right? That it, it has to be, it, its main benefit comes when something's real. Yeah. Yep. And that's kind of the, the, the game plan for Angular. What I like about it is it's built, and the guys right from the CLI are great. They have in mind that they want people to, when they start with the CLI, to never run into a wall and go, oh my gosh, now I have to abandon it and go somewhere else because it's not real world. Mm. Um, it starts out of the box using... Uh, the Angular Style Guide, which um, I'm one of the curators of. And it also keeps you in line with AOT and something called tree shaking, which basically removes dead code out of your app for free. Hmm. Uh, so it does all these things for you, whether you want or care about them or not, which I think is great. It is great. And when you say Style Guide, you're not talking about how your Angular app looks, but how your code looks. Yes, yes, yeah. like the clean code type thing. And there's an official guide that I wrote uh, for AngularJS up in a GitHub repo, and the Angular team asked me to write the version uh, for versions 2, 4, 5, etc. Uh, on their docs. So, yeah, that's what it follows. Awesome. Nice. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Well, guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to lob an Angular serve at John so he can bash it over the net. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> that might be the dumbest one i've ever written it's, a, it's actually time to give away a d experience subscription from developer express to one lucky member of the dotnet rocks fan club but first become a ui superhero with dev express ui controls and libraries and deliver elegant.net solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? 
Today's winner is Richard Angus from Down Under. Congratulations, Richard. Right. I'll clap for you. I'll clap for you, Richard. And uh, Richard just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at Developer Express, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of said fan club. But you have to sign up to win. Okay, John, you know what's coming next. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology, what would you buy? I would home automate everything in my house. I would buy one of those awesome setups where I can get like the uh, LifeX, LIFX bulbs, uh, all the different um, connections for the outlets, for the uh, fridge, for the, you know, the nest stuff, even my pool hmm. and get the grill and everything. I'd love to just home automate the whole thing at this point. And so you, what, uh, what problems are you trying to solve exactly with home automation? <laughs> That I never want to get off my couch, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) We just put a uh, couch by our pool area there, because I live in Florida, and it's under a patio, and I want to be able to turn the lights on, the fan on, the TV on. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) While I'm still coding. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, I've been adding some automated. We we went and got a, a place up on the coast last summer, and I've been adding automation to it to just make sure the lights are on when you get there and you turn the heat up, you know, before you arrive. Like all those little details that uh, it gets. It. The funny part is, as I got it working for there, she's complaining it's not working at home. <laughs> hmm. Like just being able to remotely arm and disarm your alarm system, like from the phone. Yeah, that's huge. So, yeah, so you just don't have to do that arm now get out in a minute thing. We actually just get everything done, get out. And then when we're in the car pulling away, it's like, okay, now arm it. I had that, got that working on the beach house. And then she's like, why don't we have this at home? I'm like, yes, dear. Okay. When, you're, <laughs> you when know, your spouse asks for more automation. Yeah. You know, when, when you do that, and what's funny to me is like my family, I've got a bunch of kids. And whenever we arm the house and we do that, it's like as soon as the first beep happens and it's like warning you to get out and you've got a minute. Yeah to get out i'm like you have 60 seconds and yet they are all sprinting like carl lewis to get out of the house (laughs) on the other (laughs) hand you're getting them out the door (laughs) yeah hey good point (laughs) now i'm just going back to what we were talking about before the break there and thinking you know we were using typescript because it gave us a, a set of sort of compilation steps to validate a bunch of your of your javascript code and then you do ahead of time compilation on top of that yeah, there, there's, and I'm going to get the sequence wrongs, but uh, I'll kind of tell you what happens there. So the TypeScript stuff helps us at development time to make sure everything mm-hmm. is actually working right, and we don't right. try to ship something that isn't going to work. Uh, but during the build, we actually take the TypeScript and we turn it to ECMAScript 6 or 2015, the new name, right? Right. Now my, now my own head hurts, right? And right. That, the reason we do that is because there's a module system that the ECMAScript um, came out with. And that module system is needed because, and think of this like C-sharp, we've got all those using statements in C-sharp where we can track down dependencies. Well, by turning it to ES6, we can actually have it go and look up and say, all right, what am I importing? What's the proper dependency order? Who's using what? And that allows us to do things like do tree shaking, which comes next, to say, get rid of any code we're not actually using, but we might have in our project. Mm, If I'm not importing that thing, don't even package it, right? Um, in old JavaScript, we couldn't do that because you didn't know what was using what. Yeah, so you just imported all the things. Yeah, and you can still do that. And then it does other things too. Like, so you get that down there, and then it does the the AOT stuff because it can look through and figure out how do I parcel these templates and get them in place. And one of the additional things it does is it looks to see, hey, where are you using routing? Oh, I see it over here, John. You know what? You're using a lazy loaded module, which means don't actually load this entire set of code until somebody actually asks for it. Mm -hmm. And when it sees that, the it being the Angular CLI, when it builds it, it says, I'm going to make a separate JavaScript bundle, a separate file for that lazy loaded module. So that, and I'm going to automatically hook it up so that when you click on whatever link it is that goes to that section of the app, I'm then going to go get that code. And on top of it, it can even set it up to preload it in the background when you're not looking. So these are kind of the cool optimizations that uh, that it's kind of building out of the box that we've been trying to hack at for years with AngularJS. Yeah. 
And now Angular's got this stuff just out of the box, which makes it super cool for enterprise dev. Yeah, and I'm just thinking from an enterprise perspective, does this mean I, I'm basically taking, I'm not sending the Angular library down to the browser anymore. So in some ways, I'm, I've got tougher controls over version numbers now because I'm doing it all in the back end at compile time. Yeah, yeah, you do. Because now you've got to put all that stuff in there and mm -hmm. you're going to have a trimmer, leaner, meaner, you know, set of code to come down. Yeah. Uh, and one of the nice things is the Angular team is really understanding breaking changes suck for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So they've gotten really good at uh, Semver, which they didn't adopt before, let's be honest, because Angular 1.2 to 1.3 to 1.4 all have breaking changes uh, for AngularJS. With the new version, they're actually adopting Semver, where if they have a breaking change, they're making it wait. And even when they make that breaking change, they're trying to make it in such a way that it won't actually break people or they'll auto upgrade you, which is cool. The main thing is you don't want to surprise people. Like you want it to, if it's going to break, break at compile time. What you don't want yeah. is some, it's deployed, it seemed to be running and some feature somewhere just behaves differently or is broken. Mm -hmm. Especially in prod, right? You don't want that phone call at two in the morning from your vice president saying, hey, nobody can make a reservation for Disney. Right. That's right. not a good phone call to get. Uh, nope. that's, that's a that's a career limiting moment. You might have to go back to Microsoft. <laughs> oh, wait, did I say that out loud? That's not right. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll take that back. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that is not what happened. I am teasing my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh so anything new in angular as far as typescript goes yeah there, there's a lot and and forgive me a little bit because it moves so fast sometimes something new comes out and i forget which version was in yeah but one of the cooler parts that's been coming out lately is they have made it easier to tap into the typescript server which is the stuff that runs under the covers mm. hmm. uh, so there's a new extension and i'm going to find the name of it that is built for visual studio code by the angular team I think it's called Angular Language Services. So the Angular Language Services, what they'll do for you is, let's say you're inside of a template like HTML, and you're typing in uh, some kind of data binding. And as you're typing in the data binding, it'll actually show you the properties in the component you've exposed. Nice. And, you know, with all that dot IntelliSense stuff. Um, and you can be like, you know, go to definition, find all references. It basically makes your templates more like you've been typing TypeScript. Wow. Wow. Which is freaking awesome. Yep. Uh, I love that. Sure is. Oh, and here it is in the marketplace. So you can just install this as a module for VS Code. And, and uh, you know, Bob's your uncle. You've got all, you're able to read into your own Angular code. Yeah. It's, and it was just announced, I think, uh, two or three weeks ago. Uh, and there's, I'm sure there's still a few quirks in it because I've been using it for a while. But it is really, really helpful. That's so interesting, right? It's just, it's amazing how IntelliSense is just sort of permeated as just a good idea. Yeah. And not it just is. in Visual Studio. And TypeScript's what's enabling all this. Um, you know, the other stuff with, with TypeScript too is just all the little help you're getting. Like in Visual Studio Code, which I love, one thing I've, I've really hated is that as you're typing Angular, one of the frustrations JavaScript developers have had is they never had to type import statements before. So right. now with the new module structure, you've got all these imports at the top, which are like the using statements in C Sharp. Hmm. Um, but if let's say you got 10 of those, that's a lot to type, right? In C Sharp, we could use tools like, you know, ReSharper in the old days or even VS right now, mm -hmm. where you just start typing something. If it's not referenced, you get a little quick hint that says, hey, would you like me to go uh, reference that for you? Hmm. And now that works in Visual Studio Code thanks to TypeScript. Nice. So, uh, I love these little features. It makes typing and coding in JavaScript kind of, and with TypeScript, sorry, feel like you're just doing C Sharp with .NET. Right. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's not interrupting your flow to jump up and add in imports, right? It just, yeah, do that for me. You knew what I meant. And I hear through the grapevine that uh, there may be other features coming soon, too, that are even cooler. <laughs> uh, and I'm not sure if I can mention them, but uh, definitely keep an eye on that space. Okay. Interesting. Is there anything that we need to adjust or change about our current code in order to move over to Angular 4? Uh, if you're using AngularJS and you're trying to go to Angular 4, there's really two options. There's the wholesale, just rewrite it, uh, which isn't a bad option, quite frankly. It's not too hard to do okay. as long as it's a small app. If you're in a bigger app and you want to, like, let's say you've got an app you wrote and you want to start putting new Angular features in, there's a tool called ng upgrade. And what that allows you to do is effectively a polyfill or a shim, if you will, mm -hmm. to insert into your app and let you continue running AngularJS, which is version 1.x, 
and run Angular version 4 with the new code. Hmm. Uh, so that stuff will let you kind of run side by side in the same app with both versions to help you slowly migrate over. Nice. And does that change your dependencies to the new versions of them? or No, it keeps the old stuff on the old stuff, and it yeah. keeps the new stuff separated. Uh, the biggest change you have to make is with routing. You can still use both routers together, but obviously you have to make sure they don't collide and you know, your routes are still separated. Interesting. I, I don't want to leave Azure out of the equation too much here because I think it's a, it's an important piece. Is there some complexity around getting Angular to invoke something like an Azure function? Like what's the normal way to call to to something serverless like that? That's what's kind of cool. I did a video at, I think all this is cool, quite frankly. Yeah, but, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a video at NGConf. Um, I had the honor of speaking after the keynote there a couple weeks ago. And my talk was basically a 20-minute, let's create an Angular app with the Angular CLI. And along the way, I had to invoke, I did it like a Star Wars theme because I love Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And I had to invoke an API that showed a list of the rebels and the planets they came from. Uh, and I'm like, geez, you know, should I create this back end in Node or Express? Or, And I said, I'm going to use Azure Functions. And I set up that function, and the code from Angular, is, it has no idea what you're calling. That's the cool part. Hmm. You just say, go create an HTTP call over to this URL, and it's going to send my data back. So as far as Angular is concerned, it has no idea. It's talking to Azure functions, um, but it's really, really simple to do. Interesting. And wh- what does the URL look like? Uh, you can make your own pretty URL, of course. But out of the right. box, I think you get one of those. Uh, let me go find mine real quick. I've got, I called mine the one with Angular app because uh, that's a Star Wars reference from Rogue One. Uh, Like I'm one with the force. Right. So there's one with (laughs) Angular app dot Azure websites dot net is the API I created. But you can obviously do a pretty URL and you can also do proxies with these too. So if you have to hit other backends, you can make a proxy through there. Interesting. Oh yeah. And I found it on, I found it in your GitHub repository. There it is. The one with (laughs) Angular app (laughs) API. Yep. Everything I do is up there somewhere. Nice. Yeah. And I'll paste in the URL to one of those endpoints. Um, You have to, I of course, enabled only hit it from certain places, but that's kind of what the URL would look like if we can show that in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. I'll add it. Mm -hmm. People should take a look at this. You've got a lot of projects uh, and and a lot of little things. It's an API call for rebels. Nice. Yeah. And you can, if you look in the code in there, what's cool is, and I was just showing somebody this today, you, when you create an Azure function, all you're doing is writing the code for the function that serves the API. You don't have to mm-hmm. set up Node and all this other stuff. You just write, okay, here's the request. Did they give me an ID for which rebel they want? Okay, we'll return back uh, Jen Urso. Or they didn't give me an ID. Let's return back the whole list of rebels in an array. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. Nice. So there we we know that there's a, a roadmap for Angular 5 and beyond, and they're they're getting pretty ambitious with the uh with their with their schedule it, it looks like angular 5 around october angular 6 march 2018 and uh man that's that's pretty ambitious don't you think it is and the good news about that is they plan out pretty much each version as they go and like angular 4 as you could see it's really the way they want it's called is it's all just angular Mm. The versions are relevant. They want the versions to be less breaking than they've been in the past. Right. Um, with Angular version 4, they did that. With 5, they're really focusing more on these optimizations and the uh, the CLI's SDK that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're going to be doing that long-term, short-term support right. with these moving forward. I guess I heard every week they're going to put out patches and then uh, minor releases every month and major releases every six months. Yeah, and it's up there. Uh, you're probably looking at the roadmap page. It, it, there's yeah, a whole schedule yeah. that they've kind of done. They kept pretty true to it. I think they released on time in uh, in late March with Angular version 4. So mm-hmm. um, I'm looking at, I think they have October, November for the, the next version, version 5, right? Yeah, yeah, it looks that way. Yeah, October for 5, March for 6. It seems fast. It does seem fast. Then again, they're Google, right? They've got a lot of smart people working there. <laughs> you know, you guys, uh, I would like to come back to the initial question that the gentleman asked, um, was it two years ago on the old show? Yeah. About, you know, use the right thing, right? And these JavaScript flavors of the week that are coming out. Mm-hmm. I think something's really important to state about all these things is if you're building a simple one page thing inside of, let's say, an ASP.NET app, 
and you're thinking of using Angular, React, or Vue, or something else, you really don't have to use any of these frameworks to build just a little nugget of information. Like maybe you right. just want to display a list of things. It's almost overkill to use any of the frameworks to do that. Uh, where Angular really steps in is when you're building a full-blown app. You know, you want the whole thing to work with routing and, you know, with the history and the back buttons mm-hmm. and all that. Um, and it doesn't just work in the browser. It actually works for PWAs, progressive web apps, and other places too. Mm. So really want to use the right tool for the right job. That hasn't changed. I kind of found that question when you're reading it to be really timely to say that is still the same way we should be thinking about things. Use the right tool for the right job and don't jump to the latest, coolest thing. Good advice. Well, and there's a cost in training and experimentation and so forth that I think are relatively tricky to measure, but they're certainly not free. There is an overhead to change. There is. And what I'm hoping for and the Angular team's hoping for too, and this is why I'm on board with it, is they won't have another Angular JS to Angular conversion where they rewrote right. everything. Yeah, That's one of the reasons they're doing this rapid six-month release cycle because they want to make sure they keep up with the web because guess what? The web is changing wicked fast. Yep. And you don't want to wait five years to get the latest thing. So true. I guess, is there a point where this thing is done? Like, is it when it's right? <laughs> you know, my wife has found the end of the internet. I know she has. <laughs> I see her sitting on the couch, surfing uh, the web on her browser. And I'm always like, you know, I think you're on it more than I am. And I joked <laughs> with her one day and I, I, I made her go to a page that said, you have reached the end of the internet. So right. nice. she has discovered it. Maybe we'll all get there someday. Well, I, as a guy who has most of the undersea cable map in his head, the end of the internet is either South Africa or New Zealand. Could be Cuba. Not so much. There's some good wires coming and going from there. No, nothing yet, though. Really. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing really. All right, man. John, it's great to talk to you as always, and we'll catch up with you in a couple weeks down in uh, the world of the mouse. Can't wait to see you all. Yeah, excited. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the MCU.